Hey friends, Daniel Schreiner here with the Disciple Hinson podcast with another episode for you. This is the most self-serving episode I've ever done. Congregations Caring for the Clergy, CCC with the Cunninghams. Um, that's fourth C, I suppose, and we're Christians, so we want to care for our pastors. The thing is, is I'm one of the pastors, so it kind of puts me in an awkward position. But if I'm fair, I'm just asking the questions to Matt and Vanessa, and it was their idea to do this subject, as uh, I'll have them confess at the beginning of the episode. Matt and Vanessa have become good friends of Ashley and I's, and I hopefully you guys have gotten to know them. They're a great family. Hope you are helped and enjoy. Check out the podcast notes for a few resources if you're interested in thinking about this subject further. Enjoy. Matt and Vanessa Cunningham, welcome to the Disciple Henson podcast. It's good to see you guys. Thank you. Glad to be here. Glad to be here. So Matt and Vanessa, we always start by asking just to give us a brief intro to yourselves. So where are you guys from? How'd you come to Christ? How'd you guys meet? What brought you to Portland? What's your favorite cereal? Uh, Who wants to go first? Vanessa. I'll go first. So Matthew and I are both from Southern California. We met in high school. I'm a little older than Matthew, so I was the teacher's aide to his honors English class, and he was the class clown, so I liked him right away. And you put a little smiley face on his... (laughs) And then I I graduated up to hearts. It worked. You put smiley faces on what? Your your vocab quizzes, Mm -hmm. and then hearts. It worked, because shortly after high school, we got married, and we moved to Portland 15 years ago when I was pregnant with our first child, um, since then, we've had eight children total, all born in Portland, and the oldest is 14. The youngest chil- youngest two are identical twins, which are two. And um, as far as becoming a Christian, when I was seven, I remember hearing the gospel in my so- Sunday school class, and I remember praying a prayer, and I do think I was converted at that time, although I have grown in my faith and grown in my understanding of the gospel significantly since then. I was baptized when I was 18 at Saddleback in Southern California. That's Rick Warren's church. That's correct. Did Rick Warren baptize you? He did not. Okay. <laughs> Thank you, Vanessa, for sharing. Matt, what about you? Get what? Uh, what's yeah. your story? So we've been, yeah, we've been married for 17 years, um, eight children. Uh, my story is that I was actually converted while I was in jail when I was 18 years old. So I'll leave that as a hanger on for a future for, podcast. For maybe another <laughs> episode. Some more, more, more content for you. I was baptized uh, when I got out of jail when I was 18 at Saddleback as well because... Same Sunday as Vanessa? Nope. Okay. Nope. But, but she was evangelistic dating me. So that worked out really That's well. That's how my parents met too. Yeah, it worked out. It worked out well. We came up here in 2006 to go to Multnomah Bible College. Okay. And then uh, I took an MDiv from... Multnomah Seminary, and then did some work at Western afterwards. Um, so yeah, that's that's what that's what brought us up here. So did you grow up in a Christian family, Matt? Uh, I grew up in a nominal Christian family, meaning that we went to church a couple times a year. We went Christmas and Easter, and that was when we would uh, we grew up in the mountains up in Southern California, up in a place called Big Bear Lake, and we would drive down to my grandparents' house in L.A. and we would go twice a year for Christmas and Easter. Um, I think my grandparents are Christians. I think my mom's a Christian, but we were just never active in the, the local church life until we until we got married. That that wasn't part of my story. 
And then you, so you went from not being active in the church, although you were more active growing up. Vanessa, would you say? I went to church regularly, um, although much more active in church life now than right. than I was when we were growing up. Okay. So you guys, you guys move up here to Multnomah, yep. and, um, and then you pastored for a little while. I did. I, I pastored a church called the Gathering Church in Southeast Portland for about 10 years. The church started in 2009, and it's right when I started seminary. So it was kind of, I've, I've described it before as a leadership vacuum in that it just, it just needed help right away. And they checked my pulse and knew that I was a seminary student, and that's all they needed. So I was in the preaching rotation. I mean, within a couple months, I was wow. preaching a third of the time right away. And I'm, not, and I'm like 25 years old. Yeah, and hadn't really done that before. No, okay. I not done that before. Yeah. So um, the topic of this episode, there's a lot of fun things that we could talk about from your stories, maybe some other time, or maybe over dinner tonight. But the, the topic of this episode is how can a congregation care well for their pastors? I'm making it plural, selfishly. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we, I mean, here at Henson, as you know, we understand elders to be pastors, associate pastors to be pastors. But also, it's great having Vanessa here to to think about how we can care well for the pastor's family, the pastor's wife, by implication. Um, so what makes you guys qualified to speak on this topic? It was your idea. I'm just going to put that out there. Sure, yeah, this was our idea. I thought we could particularly help the members of Henson to think through this well. Uh, you know, we've been active in ministry our whole marriage mm-hmm. so we've been here for 17 years mm-hmm. and we've always been active in ministry uh starting off as youth volunteers and then i was actually a youth pastor when we first moved to portland at woodland park baptist church up on halsey in about 108th or so and then at our previous church we served there for about 10 years the first two years i was a pastoral assistant and then i served for about eight years as the senior pastor of the church um so yeah, we, we, we have a lot. I think we think we're qualified to speak on this topic. And I will say at the at the outset here that while leaving our last church was painful, Vanessa and I used to say throughout the years that if we ever did leave our current ministry post, it would be a joy to serve at another church as faithful church members mm. to just show what it would be like to be a faithful church member. So it's a gift mm. to us to be at Henson right now. And you guys have been members of Henson for a little over a year now, or has it been two? Not quite a year. Okay. We we joined Henson as members in July 2020. Okay. So it's been about nine to ten months. So you guys have been on both sides, is what you're saying. You've That's been saying. church members. Yep. I mean, I know pastors are church members too, but... Certainly. And we, we, yeah. we've relished the opportunity on some level to, to be a church member, to mm-hmm. just show what it would be like to be a faithful, helpful contributing church member. Amen. Excellent. Vanessa, anything to add? Something that we've talked about a lot over the years, and um, particularly in the last couple of years, is what it is like for members to care for their pastor. And we realize that this is a hard topic for pastors themselves to talk about, Mm -hmm. and we feel like this is a good opportunity for us to talk about it. Having Matthew been a former pastor, and now we're church members, it seems like we're in a good position to speak to this issue. Right. I agree. Vanessa said to me this afternoon, you can say whatever you want this afternoon, and it doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> you can say what you always wanted to say. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's a unique opportunity. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's start with the bad. L- what are some wrong ways to approach your pastor and his family? Uh, this... 
you, you guys don't have to be super specific, but I mean, you, you've known a lot of pastors, you've heard horror stories, you've heard bad expectations. Uh, let's start here. Yeah. Uh, I think the first thing that comes to mind is, and a lot of folks know this, but you don't get a two for, you don't get a two for one when you hire a pastor. Can you be more yes, specific? I can. When you hire a pastor, you hire the man for the job. You don't hire his wife and his family. So when you hire a pastor, you're hiring him. You're not hiring everything that maybe his wife and his family necessarily brings along. And to put that expectation on a family can be really harmful and damaging. Because as we'll, I think we'll tease out through the rest of this conversation, the, 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 what I need, what a pastor needs most from his wife is to be his wife mm-hmm. and to be the mother of his children. And, and an active church member, to be sure. Mm-hmm. But you're not getting a two-for-one. You're not getting a new women's ministry leader when you hire a new pastor. You're getting a pastor, and you're getting his wife, and you want her to care for him first and foremost, and to care for their children first and foremost. That frees him up to be the most effective pastor that you need him to be. Would you concur, Vanessa? I would agree with that, yes. Well, I, but although there would be some uh, circumstances, I know, depending on the personality of the pastor's wife, where she does kind of come into the church, maybe thinking of herself as a first lady. Mm-hmm. But that's not really the situation at Henson. So we're just going to move on from there. Right. Yeah. And another thing that comes to mind is, you know, it, it's not it's not the congregation's job to keep the pastor humble, per se. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not the congregation's job to, you know, maybe pay the pastor less than is is expected in order to kind of keep him humble or to or keep to him keep poor him, keep him humble yeah, yeah. Not, that's not that's not the congregation's job i mean that's that's between him and the lord and mm-hmm. and so on um that's good and also to, it's it's not the job of the congregation to particularly set a higher expectation for the pastor's family involvement i mean a faithful pastor probably will be an above average member of the church you know they'll they'll be at most services Mm -hmm. but it's not the congregation's job to make that happen there could be particular situations that would prohibit that and it's not in some sense it's not really the congregation's business what the pastor's family is doing because you're you're hiring a man you're 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 employing a man to do a particular role Mm -hmm. not hiring his family Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. certainly you would want to ensure that you're hiring a man who exhibits the qualities of caring well for his family for sure like we see in first timothy 3 and titus yep yep and other you know negative ways to think about expectations that are put on families is just to just to remember for a congregation to realize that a pastor's family experiences sunday mornings in a way that's somewhat unique to the rest of the congregation i mean my kids experience Sunday mornings watching their dad preach the Sunday service mm-hmm. versus their dad sitting next to them, mm-hmm. hearing the preached word of God. Mm. And even you, Daniel, I mean, even if you're not preaching every Sunday, there is a, your kids still experience Sunday and your wife experiences Sunday in a way that's different than the rest of the congregation experiences it. I mean, you're, for lack of a better term, you're on duty. You're, mm-hmm. you're, mm-hmm. you're, you're working. You mm-hmm. have a responsibility to make sure the service goes well and the church is edified and so on. And for the congregation to realize that, that it's just, it's a little bit different than the rest of the congregation, I think is at least helpful to acknowledge. Again, Vanessa, would you concur with that? What was it like for you? Ten, the, was it eight years or 10 years, Matt, that you were serving as a, as I was a senior, senior pastor? pastor for eight and I was, but I was on staff for 10. So would you agree? Was, were Sundays exhausting? 
Sundays were hard. Yes, there was not often a second parent available to rely on, especially with with young kids, um, which is taxing. And I think that uh, any congregation can realize that a pastor's wife experiences Sunday morning as her husband is working that day, and so it is different different from her for her. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and even even I would say even non-staff elders are experiencing it in a different way, and just be mindful of that. I mean, there's there's folks always coming up relating counseling situations, relating life situations, and just realizing they're not as available to their family as maybe um, a, a, a church member that's not an elder. Yeah, just be mindful of that. Yeah, good. Good. Those those are some some good good places to start. Do you have one or two other just wrong ways to approach your pastor and his family? If not, we can move on to just the job description. I can't think of anything. Just I think that the the the, the expectations for them to be church members is a very important point to be kind of driven home. They're they are, they are church members of the congregation, and to treat them as such. Um. Maybe not particularly. Another thing that got me on Sunday mornings often was, uh, I know it's a, it's a touch point for members of the congregation to talk to me, but it's also can be a, a, a moment when I'm kind of being lambasted with a lot of different issues. And mm-hmm. maybe Sunday morning isn't the most effective time mm-hmm. to talk to me. Mm-hmm. It could be maybe it's better to set up an appointment, maybe write an email, something of that nature. It could just serve the pastors well. Mm-hmm. But their minds might be in other places on Sunday morning. I can affirm that, especially after preaching. Mm-hmm. Often you're standing at the door and members come just one after another. And it's great. I love, I love t- uh, touching t- base with the members and seeing them. And especially this last year, it's been really hard not to have that as, as, as frequently. But uh, one of the things that's difficult for me is that I forget what they tell me because it's kind of like a fire hose. And it's not until later in the week that I'm like, oh my goodness, Someone told me they were having surgery on Tuesday, and it's right. not, and it's Wednesday, and I totally, I totally spaced because it was kind of one thing after another. Mm-hmm. I got into the habit of, if someone wanted to meet, I would mm. just to be totally honest, say I don't have my calendar in front of me. Mm-hmm. Email me, mm. text me. Yeah, yeah. Text me tomorrow. It's a good strategy, <laughs> and we'll set up an appointment. That's good. How how can a congregation and a pastor come to an agreement about kind of job description? Um, you, we already talked about you're not getting a twofer. The, the wife doesn't have a job description other than being a faithful wife, uh, potentially mother, uh, church member, believer in the Lord. But um, what about the pastor? Can What are some ways to have good expectations on what the pastor is supposed to be doing, whether it be Sunday or throughout the week? Yeah. Well, I, the Bible seems to give us a pretty good description of what the pastor's job is. I mean, we've got places like Ephesians 4, where it says the pastor's job is to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry, Mm -hmm. which, remember, doesn't say to do the work of the ministry. It says to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. Mm -hmm. And one very satisfying moment as a pastor is um, when you hear later and after the fact that the congregation among themselves maybe resolved an interpersonal conflict. It's very satisfying to know that an elder or pastor didn't have to be roped in to a situation, but you hear that you know that Sam and Johnny had a had a conflict, and they they dealt with it, and they, mm-hmm. they they acted as Christians, and they were able to resolve the conflict. And you hear about it after the fact, and you didn't have to get an email to jump in. Mm-hmm. That's really satisfying mm-hmm. as a pastor. And I know that you can probably 
uh, agree to that and attribute to that. Our job is also to shepherd the flock. That's what Peter says mm -hmm. in First Peter 5, which means to exercise oversight, to care for. Mm -hmm. um, First Peter 5.2 says that we're the exercise oversight again, that we're to administrate, like we're to, we're to build structures, we're to build systems, we're to make the church run well, like so that its systems and its, and its programs and, and so on are, are actually building the saints up. And of course, we're to, you guys are to preach. Um, preach the word of God in season, out of season, rebuke, reprove, exhort, and complete patience and teaching. So I think that's the job of the pastor. It's to, it's to oversee the church, it's to preach the word of God, and it's to administrate the church in a way that's, that's helpful for the discipleship of the people. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. No, that's helpful. And, you know, the I think we see is it in Acts 6 um, to be about the word and prayer. Certainly, certainly prayer is the responsibility of every, every Christian, every church member, and it may be in a unique way, bringing, bringing the needs of that congregation before the Lord. Um, that's excellent. Any, uh, anything to add, Vanessa or Matt and Vanessa, both ways that you guys have seen like as you've gotten into it or as you've heard of other pastors, you're like, oh, that's interesting. Th th this church member thought, had an expectation that this was part of my job description, like to go to my kid, uh, you know, to this church member's li kids' little league games or something like that. Like stories that you've heard where it's like, hey, and you want to say to a congregation, hey, this is not the pastor's job to do X. Anything come to mind? Well, we've talked before about women's ministry expectations. And at different points, you know, you've served effectively because there was a need, but you never really felt the need to, you know, particularly be part of the women's ministry of the church. You never really headed it up per se, but if there was a need, you would, you would fill it. I don't know. I can't think of anything. Okay. Is it the pastor's job to organize church campouts? Church-wide so. camping trips. I don't think so. Is it the pastor's... It can. I mean, he, okay. if, 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 if he, he wants, wants to. to. Is it the pastor's job to make sure that the teenagers in the church uh, have fun things to do together? I don't think necessarily. Okay. He can, if, that's, if, if, if he feels that he wants to. Is it the pastor's job to ensure that um, people feel like they leave church receiving... A big spiritual hug from their pastor not necessarily okay i don't think so yeah i mean i certainly remember very i remember sundays going into i told the story the other day uh, our neighbors were visiting church and i was preaching on exodus i think 32 where god gives his name uh where he says i am who i am and these are non-christians and it's basically like this very hard calvinistic sermon god will harden who he hardens and yeah yeah and he'll give grace to who he'll give grace and i just remember standing up there going these people are never going to come back to church again <laughs> And I preached it anyway, and they yeah. never came back to church again. I was right. I'm a prophet. Um, but it's, it's, my job was to bring the Word of God to the people of God. Mm. And I, I hope that, and I trust that the rest of the congregation was built up by it. And that's, I mean, that, that's my job. That's our job as elders. Is the pastor's job to be evangelistic? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. What does that look like in the ministry of the Word? Yeah, I think I think you you guys the Hinton elders do a really good job in their in their preaching, particularly in making sure that there's always a, a an evangelistic turn, opportunity, invitation, call in the midst of the sermon. 
I think it's important. I think it does two things. One, it, certainly it, it invites the non-believer to respond. But second, I think it encourages the believer to invite non-believers to church because they know that their pastors are going to speak to their non-Christian friends. Mm. That's important. They're not just going to get some insider message. They're not just going to get dugout talk. They're going to get a message that actually applies to their their coworker or their neighbor or so on. That's important. I agree. I uh, I like what I sat under Mark Devers preaching for four years, mm-hmm. and sometimes I wondered why do you share the gospel in every sermon almost the exact same way? Mm-hmm. Like I mean, he would he would adjust it and filter it through the te- whatever text he was preaching. But then I think I just asked him one time, and he was like, I'm catechizing the members so that they too, not only so that non-Christians who happen to be sitting there on Sunday morning can hear, clearly hear like a one-minute version of kind of a simple gospel presentation, but it really helped me as I went out into to the week and worked for the National Pork Producers Council as I'm talking to coworkers or neighbors, like I've been hearing week after week. Uh, kind of God, man, Christ response. And I can just kind of go on automatic if I'm nervous or I don't know how to kind of get into it. I can, well, I just heard this this last Sunday. In addition to that, a pastor and his family, they they are expected and should be Christians, regular Christians as well, which means they reach out to their neighbors, to people around them, people in their circles that aren't church members. And... Part of that is being an example of evangelism because that's what Christians do. Amen. Mm-hmm. Is it the pastor's job? This is my last one of these. Mm-hmm. Is it the pastor's job to ensure that there is a nursery for the children so that the, ch- the church members aren't distracted by cute little Catherine and Elizabeth in the service um, as they as they talk to one another? No, not necessarily. I mean, it's. A, I think. I think church nurseries are a kind act of hospitality. They could even be considered an act of evangelism, to, I mean, because you know, particularly to a non-Christian family who's coming in who are not used to maybe training their kids to sit through a 40-minute, or as a Michael Lawrence, an hour and 20-minute monologue. <laughs> He'll take issue with that hour and 20 minutes, but... <laughs> but it, it, I, think it's, I, think it's an act of, I think it's an act of hospitality. Um, but no, we don't have to. And I and I, and, I, and as, as I've asked, having little Catherine Elizabeth, it actually doesn't bother people as much as we think as parents it bothers us. Squawking kids, I kind of like it. Yeah, I do too. I think we like to be distracted. As a mother, I do not like my kids squawking. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Vanessa, how can a congregation relate well to a pastor's wife? So I have a few do's and don'ts here. Excellent. On the do's, a congregation can and should expect a pastor's wife to be a a faithful church member, Mm -hmm. which means a lot of things. It means being involved in the body life of the church, attending services, participating in the discipleship program of the church. Um, Here at Henson, it seems small groups are part of the discipleship program. It's good to be involved in small groups. Um, For different churches, sometimes the discipleship programs look different. In addition, they should view the pastor's wife as somebody that needs discipleship and accountability relationships just like everybody else needs. For the don'ts, they should not expect a pastor's wife to know about all of the counseling situations and logistics of the church. A pastor's wife does not 
does not and should not know that those things. And for us to approach a pastor's wife and expect them to know that is inappropriate. Also... Well, tell stories about that, how that used to happen to you. When Matthew was a pastor, uh, very often someone would approach me and start trying to converse with me about a counseling situation that they were in or that somebody close to them was in, and I would not know what they were talking about because it shouldn't be expected for a pastor's wife to, to be up to speed on all of those things. Also, a pastor's wife should not be somebody that a congregant could should go to to complain about the pastor's wife's husband or the problems with the church or any of those other concerns, thinking that that's a way they can get change or that they can notify the pastor that they're unhappy with something by going through the through their through his wife. You're really good at that because oftentimes like you said people would come up to you and start just talking and you would have to kind of cut them off and say I honestly I got to tell you I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Matthew didn't come home and have a second elders meeting with me and share that. Or if they would complain about something you were really good at saying, you know what, if you you should just you should just go talk to Matthew or one of the elders cuz I I really can't do anything for you. <laughs> I don't know what you're hoping to accomplish here, but just go talk to the elders if you have a question. Mm-hmm. Right? Right. That's correct. Yes. Ashley sometimes uses our kids as an excuse. Oh, I got to attend to, to Willa. <laughs> she needs help. But yeah, I think it's good to just be direct sometimes and just be like, hey, look, appreciate appreciate you as a person. You're made in God's mm-hmm. image. Right. <laughs> no, but, I don't know but I don't know what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. That's good. Anything else to add about maybe... Um, what it's like for a pastor's wife to have godly relationships, friendships in the church when, you know, you're in a unique position as a pastor's wife in, within the church body. Yes, um, I think it, it is um, important for church members to create, a, create relationships for the pastor's wife where she can share freely with the struggles she has with her kids, struggles she has with sin issues or whatever it may be without fear that she has to have a different standard than all other church members have just because she's the pastor's wife. Um, Like I said, she is a normal Christian and a normal congregant with needs for discipleship and accountability just like everyone else. Yeah, thank you. That's, That's really helpful. You know, I think there is a unique and special burden that is on the lead pastor and the lead pastor's wife and family. But would you say that these things are consistent based on your experience uh, from, because you guys had associate pastors at the gathering. We did. And what you've observed in those relationships with the pastor's, associate pastor's wives, would you say that these things that you're speaking to hold true for associate pastors or associate pastor's wives? Um, Anything that you would kind of nuance with keeping that in mind? I certainly think it's, it's, it's all the associate pastors and even the the lay elders. It probably is more of a bullseye on the senior pastor. Definitely. Yeah. Um, And, but at the same time, the associate pastors carry a particular burden in that they're trying to they're trying to care for and cover the senior pastor's back. So that carries with itself its own level of complications and own level of struggles. Um, not wanting to disagree with the guy in public necessarily, even if it's not maybe the way you'd go. So there's there's a whole level of complexity within there and trying to serve him and, tr- and serve the vision and, and serve what the Lord's doing in the church 
Um, so yeah, I think it carries its own sense of, of, of burdens with it. And I think you guys do a really good job watching, having observed a bunch of elder meetings in the last year. I really appreciate the way you and Mark and Neil support Michael. You're obviously not, a, you're obviously not yes men. Uh, and you obviously want to help support the vision and direction he's taking the church. And I think it's a really healthy, healthy balance. I appreciate that, Matt, because all this time I actually thought Michael was here to support me. <laughs> so this is this has been instructive. That's good. Yeah. That's wonderful. Um, let's talk about some practical ways that a church can care for uh, their pastors. Um, any ways that was particularly encouraging to you guys when you were mm-hmm. in the ministry or you know in full time vocational ministry at the church in terms of like how the congregation should uh, think about pay, sabbaticals, vacations, conferences, or any other practical things that come to mind. Uh, I'm thinking, I'm thinking about just practical care mm-hmm. and encouragement. Yeah, this is where I, I, I'm in a unique position. As Vanessa told me, you can say whatever you want right now because you're not a pastor of this church. <laughs> you're not a pastor of another church. You have a unique position right now to speak. But let's have it. Okay. Uh, and Vanessa, you chime in too. Pay your pastors as much as you can. I'm, I'm liking where this is going. So <laughs> I'm serious. Pay them as much as you can. I mean, it's. I think being a pastor is one of the hardest jobs in the world, and money doesn't solve everything. But but the ability to take your family on vacation, the ability to have the freedom to take them out to dinner, to to go visit their grandparents or go go visit, go visit aunts and uncles, is it helps. It helps know that they're cared for. You know, don't muzzle the ox, and and and, and one who preaches is worth double honor. Which I think means money. I think I think exegetically, I agree with you. I do I do wonder about the dynamic when maybe like let's say uh, a pastor. I mean, this was true here at Henson, particularly when Michael got here. That Michael is younger than most of the congregation, hmm. and a lot of the congregation is blue collar. Is it is it difficult to? to be paying the pastor quite a bit, who's maybe, you know, 10 to 20 years, the average member's age, and they're paying that pastor quite a bit more than they themselves are making like 10, 20 years down the line. Can that be a a distraction? Can it be discouraging for the church members maybe knowing that? Or how how should the congregation then think in that that situation? Yeah, it could be. I understand that. Um, and I do think pay should be and somewhat commiserate to what the congregation is making. I think there's a good principle in there. And and so I, I guess I'll just go back to my same point. Pay them as much as you can. Pay them as much as seems reasonable. Um, and know that they have a very hard job. And there's not a lot of ways that we can compensate that. Mm, but mm-hmm. like I said, most, most pastors are moving from other cities. They're moving away from family. Uh, you can... There's other ways to do it as well. If, if it's not in actual dollars, give them big vacation times. I would say that the pastor should have at least four weeks of vacation, and they should be strongly encouraged by the congregation and the elders to take that vacation, not to just bank it. Mm-hmm. I think as a congregation, we would totally benefit if you guys took the time off, we're resting, we're recuperating, and so on, and just and coming back to us refreshed, Especially if you're saying that those vacation times or even those sabbatical times, reading and praying and just getting close to your kids, I, I don't see how that could ever be a negative impact to the congregation. Anything to add, Vanessa? Yes. 
uh, our our pastors they are here to serve us. That's that's their job, and the better we can care for our pastors, the better they can serve us. So, not only is our care for them good for them, but it is selfishly it's good for us because they are supposed to feed us with the word and pray for us and equip us, and we want them to be in fit and fighting condition to do that. And I think one of the ways that we can make sure that that happens is by being encouraging to our pastors, not discouraging. They are always going to have burdens because because we're in a broken world and life brings burdens and they bear the burdens of the congregation as well. So I think as congregates, we can do what we can control to encourage them rather than being discouraging to them. And um, I think if we're going to err, it should be on the, on the side of encouraging and complimenting as opposed to err on the side of being discouraging and being overcritical. Right. I mean, these are God, we're talking about godly men here. We're not talking about guys that are going to abuse these kinds of privileges and, and honors and so on. We're talking about guys that are more prone to actually not take it, not take their four weeks of vacation, not take their sabbaticals. We're talking about godly men, and we want to encourage them to be refreshed because it is only for our gain, and it's only for the good of their families. So you're saying that by being generous and encouraging a congregation towards their pastor, that's actually going to benefit the congregation. Absolutely. Yeah. Definitely. And I think if we if we have a position of trusting our pastors, I think it I think it benefits them and us. These are godly men, and they desire and strive to do what is right for us as a congregation, and for us to have a stance of trust as opposed to distrust, even when we disagree with decisions. I think it goes a long way to refresh and encourage our pastors. What if you're in a church and you don't think your pastor's a godly man? We should probably leave the church. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Can I? Uh, this is something I've wondered about. Uh, we're in, we're in an era of history and a modern time where you can get a hold of your pastor by by text, by phone, by email, anything you want to say. You don't. You can just be like, I'm I'm sending an email because he he said he said this, either encouraging. Or, uh, hey, you know, I didn't like it when you said this. Um, certainly here at Hinson, we go, we're trying to go above and beyond to be transparent and to be available to the church members, um, to the flock. But anything that you would say after being in ministry for, for 10 years, um, like how should a, a church member think about the accessibility of their their pastor, particularly by like email and text? Hmm, it's a fantastic question. Do not send your pastor a text message or an email on Saturday night, particularly if he's going to preach. Just don't do it. I don't know how many times I've felt just totally beat down because I got a text or an email on a Saturday afternoon or a Saturday night. And in my mind, I'm going, I'm supposed to stand before the people of God with the word of God tomorrow. And I just feel just totally beat down. Hmm. Wait till wait till Tuesday. <laughs> it can wait. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I don't know if you said this, but you mean discouraging. What did I say? Okay. Text or oh yeah, discouraging. An oh yeah, an encouraging. Yeah. Like, I'm yeah, sure would yeah, be. Or, what brother. are you preaching on tomorrow? <laughs> sure, that's fine. Yeah, discouraging. Yeah. Uh, and and I will say, I don't know if every pastor experiences, but Vanessa and I certainly did. We felt some kind of spiritual attack almost every Saturday night. We would get in the weirdest arguments on Saturday night. 
And it just felt like some kind of spiritual attack or something from the enemy that, especially was preaching, that just kind of got us off kilter, just, just kind of caught us off guard. And it, whatever you need to say can wait mm-hmm. until Monday or Tuesday. Like, instead, Saturday night, pray for your pastor as he's kind of ruminating on his notes. He's getting ready to preach the word. He's, you know, he's kind of wrapping things up. Pray for him instead of instead of telling him why you don't think Sunday school should be happening the way Sunday school is happening. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I can't change anything anyway. Yeah, <laughs> that's helpful. And I agree with you. I think one of the things Ashley and I have experienced is the weeks that I happen to be preaching, it's like the enemy uh, digs in mm-hmm. and uh, kind of comes after us in maybe some unique ways. I'm not saying, I mean, yes, indwelling sin, you know, we, sure. we, we, are, we can be selfish and proud, um, but often I think, oh man, I must be preaching this week because this has been a tough week, and particularly maybe with the family. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's made me have a greater appreciation and try to be more vigilant in prayer for, for Michael and the Lawrence family as Michael is the one, the main teacher of this church and the one who's preaching the majority of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, we've gone a little bit past the time I allotted, and people are going to accuse me of being self-serving because of the subject matter, but sure. let's uh, let's just conclude with a couple last questions just briefly, just some quick um, kind of bullet points from you guys. Uh, ways to pray for the pastor and their family in some unique ways. Pray for the spiritual warfare thing I just talked about. Pray for the salvation of their children. Pray that they feel as they feel bona fide members of the congregation. Uh, pray for their marriage. Mm-hmm. This is great. You guys have been great. Any 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 final things? Things that you maybe wanted to share or say? Ways you wanted to encourage uh, Henson Baptist Church in particular? Or any words of wisdom to conclude? Yep, I'll go first. And you go last. Sure. Since you're smarter than me. <laughs> uh, just these are bullet points. Send them notes. Send the elders notes encourage them in the ways that the sermons have encouraged them. Remember their birthdays, remember their wives' birthdays, just send them quick notes. Hmm. If you got a beach house, offer your beach house for a couple days over the weekend. Remember, um, send them gift cards for restaurants. Just just encourage them. Send encouraging emails. Um, and the, the last thing I would leave us with is just remembering Hebrews 13, 17. It says that, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy, not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. And the word there, obey, is the Greek word pathos, which means be persuaded to trust. Just be persuaded, just work, and it's it's a, it's an act of, it's a spiritual discipline. Work to be persuaded to trust your elders. They're, they're doing this because they love you. They're not doing this because they're trying to make Brewster's millions or otherwise. They're doing this because they really love you, they really love the gospel, they really love the word of God, and they're trying to see you mature in Christ. Mm. I would just like to say I'm very thankful here at Hinson. We have really good pastors. We have pastors that serve us well, that love us, that show us the gospel. And um, all of us members here at Hinson should just have an outpouring of thankfulness for what God has given us in wonderful pastors. really appreciate you guys. We're so thankful in God's providence that the Lord brought you here for Hin- to Hinson for however long that he has you here. Uh, thanks for coming on the episode today. You're welcome. Thank you.